future is Mecca. In the previous episode. If it's about the final, we were paid how many points? A thousand. Deal. The idea is Ripple at Deep Shield. You're totally welcome to go to our place and hang out with Davor. I'm going to hang with friends. When I walked in the Met Cafe, everything was black with red lighting. The baby appeared out of nowhere, like a CO special effect. It wasn't a fair fight. Nobu had already lost the use of one of his arms. It's CO punched me! It's security! It's clerk security! You don't get it, so keep your nose out of it. I don't want your help. I overslept on Monday. It happens when nobody is messaging you at the crack of dawn. Dad was long gone. He was probably still humming like he was last night after Minky mecked off. I stuffed one pocket full of basic flakes and stuffed some slices of basic loaf in the other. Then I was out the door and climbing into the cockpit. When it snapped shut, I didn't even flinch. I was used to it now. It was tempting to take advantage of my open registration and jet to 548. I lived too close to officially jet between our pad and the learning place. Some people think the reason learners can't jet if they live close was to keep the transit lanes free for adults heading to work. I think it was just to make kids practice mecking. And babies walking? It was... it was perfect. Or near perfect. I coaxed it up to a trot and we were passing other meccas. It was so good I could see us running, sprinting like the wind. Faster, I whispered to it. Up on your toes. Lean into it. Push hard. We started running. Bounding, really. That baby's fat legs must be hiding some heavy-duty servos. We are going so high and so far with each mighty step, it was like we were on the moon. Except when we landed. Wham! We might have cracked some road surface before I coached it into a softer landing. Taking the force on the front of the foot. Treating the ankle, knee and hip like tense springs to absorb the impact. If there had been a speed limit on mecking, the baby and I would have broken it. We made it to the learning place before the bell. I pulled us back to a normal mecha pace as we arrived and walked into the end of the stand. Before I climbed out of the cockpit and onto the baby's hand, I looked around, hoping to spot Anu. I couldn't see him, but the whole Mechros team was hanging around on the main steps in their red and whites. I took the path around the back of the building. Anu might be hanging out with the other four freaks. I really need to tell him about the lens heads but I wasn't going to tell him about Baby disappearing. I wasn't even going to tell my friends until I knew what the CO was going on with that. There were a few kids on the fields, getting in some pre-stream free-making or practice before the bell sounded. Azalea, Jaya and Lashana were among them. They were going through a routine, taking each move slow to get it right, so I didn't message her. I went past outside one in the eating place, but there's no sign of Anu. Same with outside two. Deep and outside three, between wings three and four of the building, sitting on a table under the broad branches of some kind of a tree that wasn't a sink tree, I spotted the four freaks. Three of them at least. Anu wasn't there. I hoped they might know where he was or how to contact him. They were talking, but they stopped as soon as I crossed the imaginary line that joined the ends of wing three and wing four. The outdoor tables had all been rearranged so I had to weave back and forth between them to reach the group. The whole time they were watching me. Upasna and oversized mirrored sunglasses. Jules tugging at the scraggly strands of hair on his chin. Illy, her pale blue eyes looking like sensors and tracking me as I walked up to them. Hey, do any of you know where Anu is? Upasna laughed. 
Jules smiled and nodded like someone told a joke. Illy blinked at me. And blinked at me. Anu doesn't let anyone know where he is, said Upasana. Not even his mother, said Jules. Prax at 22.30, said Illy. Yeah, I said. I like your little mecca. It's cool, she said. This the kid with the green one? said Jules. Yes, said Illy. That's so non-standard, he said. Thanks? I wasn't sure non-standard was a compliment. Upasna took off her sunglasses and looked me up and down. Then she put her sunglasses back on again. I've seen the shares. I thought you'd be a better pilot, going by your sim scores. It was having calibration issues. I think I fixed them. Non-standard, like I said. What kind of profs has it got? Normal ones. Can you ever guess where Anu might be? Or have an ID I can message him on? Upasana looked into the sky. He's here. Walking into wing 10 from the guide stand going by the cameras, she said. Great. Her sunglasses were Ari glasses, like Anu's. Another freak plugged into their systems. You can see him? No, that's why I know he's there. That doesn't make sense, I said. Jules chuckled and Illy giggled. He's hacked the cameras to freeze the image when he gets near any of them. It looks like a random fault. A video stream of the same image, over and over again, is smaller than a normal stream. I have a system to show me which cameras suddenly start transmitting less data. I know every camera he walks past. He's heading down the main hallway. It's like a shadow, said Illy. Or a lingering smell, said Jules. Right. Thanks. I'll go and find him, I said. You know you can't trust him, right? said Upasna. Only Anu can trust Anu, said Jules. Don't make any deals with him, said Illy. Too late for that. Poor Normie. He'll get bored with you, said Jules. I don't think he's interested in me, I said, and started to leave. He's not, said Illy. He's on a bigger mission. I stopped. What's the bigger mission, I said. Upasna turned her big glasses on me. I could see two shrunken and distorted versions of myself in their reflections. If you don't know, we can't tell you, she said. What? Weren't you paying attention in common stream? said Jules. Yeah, I said. Illy giggled again. Did she, did they, know about my cheating? Well, said Jules, stroking his straggly chin hairs and grinning. Anu's mission is in common stream? No, said Jules. But its shadow is, said Illy, her pale blue eyes blinking at me. I couldn't read them. They're like two more riddles. C.O. This was why they were called the Four Freaks. Whatever. I'm going to go find Anu. He stopped around wing six, said Upasana. It's the only bathroom he'll use, said Illy, and giggled again. I kept going past the table to the doors that led into the main hall and hung her right. The place was still pretty empty. I could see a few guides down the far, far end, going into their lounge area. There was no sign of Anu. Should I go and stand outside the bathroom at wing six and wait for him? Upasta might have been lying. Maybe I can't trust her. Or any of the freaks. Out of the wing five corridor came good old Coop. He was grinning down at the screen in his hands, but when he glanced up and saw me, that grin vanished. His eyes narrowed and his mouth tightened. I tried to do a fast shuffle past him, 
but he stepped out and got a hand on my backpack and stopped me. You, he said, standing in front of me. Why are you still about? What did the invigilator have to say, hmm? About your scores? I armed and awed. Have you even seen her? Well, she hasn't seen you. I'll fix that. You'll get what's coming to you. He let go of my backpack, stepped around me and headed, I was sure, for the invigilator's office. C.O., he was not going to stop until I was kicked out of the place. Getting him griefed in his sim was costing me more than points. I turned from watching Cooper walk away to see Anu himself on his way towards me. My gut urge was to run up to him and start blathering about the invigilator, but I waited for him to reach me. He nodded once at me and kept walking, so I had to chase after him. I need to talk to you, I said. He nodded once and veered off towards the doors to outside too. The stream bells sounded as we walked outside and kept walking until we were past the edge of the building and staring at the playing fields. What do you need to talk about? I just ran into Cooper. He said he was going to see the invigilator. Again. He put a hand to the side of his glasses and nodded. I'll monitor that. Anything else? Lens heads, I said. I told him about Friday night, skipping my dream. That is fascinating. Fascinating? I had lens heads in my front yard. They could have come in my house. They might have already been inside. What? It's Monday. Two more nights have passed. I didn't want to hear that. I'd never sleep again. They were there because of your stupid tracker. Perhaps. If a company had clearance for lens heads. If a company had the computational resources to break the encryption. Big ifs. Then they could trace the path back to your house. Or they got your address from your dad's employment record. It was attached to his bike. If it's cracked, then they can trace it back to you, too. No. I activated it in a green zone, far from where I live, and any cameras. My hands tightened into fists. I wanted to thump him. He was keeping himself safe while endangering me. It was a stream test all over again. What am I going to do? Don't worry about the lens heads. I'll worry about the lens heads. What can you do about them? He didn't have an answer to that. You got me into this. Did I? Your mecha is open class. It is not controlled by Travnav, but it is still tracked. The lensheads may have been investigating the mecha that penetrated a no-fly zone. That's Glurk-level security. Glurk can definitely access lensheads. He turned to look at me. This time his eyes weren't moving. They were looking into mine. Whatever danger you think I'm putting you into, which is minimal, by design, don't forget to consider your own major blunders. I'm heading in. Could you at least give me a way to contact you? Comment on a share with three handclaps. Three fires if it's urgent. On what share? Any share. Any public share. My systems will pick it up and I'll contact you. At lunch, I told Azalea and Coda about Lobby 11 and the pauper brawl while we ate noodles and lab chicken. Even Coda ate it this time. I am not a herbivore, he said when he popped the seals on his white lunch lozenge. Inside was a large compartment of chopped green vegetables. The smaller compartments contained nuts, strawberries, and an apple. Mother is cross with father for letting me eat rehab zone meat at his business lunch yesterday, he explained. Ew, what kind of meat? said Azalea. Venison. Venison, I said. From deer. From a real live deer? Well, it's not alive anymore. What did it taste like? said Azalea. 
Like lab mousse, but better. Also, much, much chewier. He opened and closed his mouth, worked his jaw in circles. My jaw is still sore from all the chewing. Really wouldn't recommend it. I can't believe you had a real live animal. I told you, it wasn't alive. It was before it got eaten, said Azalea. Poor thing. I'm glad there's nothing that can eat us. Wolves, I said. There's wolves now in Newfoundland. Sharks and squids, said Coda. All too far away for me to worry about. I guess I'd better go join the line for noodles, Coda said with a sigh. You poor thing, said Azalea, and patted his arm with mock concern. After eating, we grabbed our mechas and headed for the field. Why, Praxit, you and the baby are looking mega tight. Moon, said Azalea. I can't wait for Wednesday. You're going to wreck some mechs. Toxic Risto is going to barf in his cockpit. It was feeling pretty good. While Coda led his weave team through his choreography, and Azalea practiced mechakatas, I kept to the far edge of the field, working my jets. I followed the sideline, up and down. I started off with micro hops. They weren't micro to start. I was popping too high. I had to talk to the baby. Less power. It's a micro hop. Less power. It got the idea and dropped its jets until I could rise up on its toes, say hop, and it would give the barest pulse of jets. Because we're on our toes, the outports are at an angle to the ground. Every pulse would make us jump forward. It was a quick little move. Once I could hop along the full length of the free mech section, I switched to skating. Skating in a mecha is like a controlled version of that terrible belly flop I did. One foot jet is always keeping you off the ground, while the other foot jet is pushing you in the direction you want to go. It's all about swinging back and forth, smoothly transitioning between which foot was keeping you up and which was pushing you forward using that moment when you're about to start sliding back the other way to also boost yourself forward. Again, it was like balancing a broom. Except you want to get the broom as close as you can to falling over before you shoot your hand back in the other direction, and you're sprinting at the same time. I was mastering it as the stream bell sounded. We weren't fast, but with a clear image in my head and constant coaching, we were gliding along the edge of the free mech section. Left push, right push. I reached the halfway line. Cut jets now, I whispered to the baby. I brought the feet together and we dropped to the permaturf. Our momentum set us sliding for a few meters and we stopped with the mechatos just behind the line. Good work, baby, I said. Calibrating. You've got to be finished with that soon. I looked up from the line. The mechros team was on the far side of their section and they were all facing me. How long have they been watching? Even the coach's bulk handler looked like it was watching me. Let them watch from a distance. In two days, they're going to see it up close and in their faces. The coach's giant mecha turned and started gesturing at the team and pointing at the building. They all started mecking and hopping towards the mecha stands. I turned and trotted over to Azalea. I figured I'd wait until the Mechross players were all clear of the stand before I went in there. Tabitha, the tech stream guide, wouldn't care if I was late. When I'd been home for a while, still eating but getting ready to jump in the sim rig, Dad called me. Normally messages are enough for us, so it made my heart rate jump. I couldn't tell if it was jumping because of the tracker, the invigilator, or an unforeseen accident. Just wondering which of the three he was calling about sent my heart pounding even faster. Good, 
he said when I answered. I wanted to catch you before you started swimming. I'm still eating, I said. That's good. I hope you're eating more than just chalk spread. I stopped licking the spoon I was holding and put the jar down. Yeah, I'm having a fruit squeeze. Great. Why, Carl was. I want you to come to group tonight. Dad. I'll swing by and pick you up. I'm not going to group. It can't do you any harm. And it might do some good. I want you to try it. Aren't you worried it might turn me into a pauper like Davor? Davor's not a pauper. What? Did you see his protector? And that clout? I gave him that clout because I threw his old one into the trees when he attacked me. I spoke to Minky about it. She said he's in a Malay squad. They've got a very distinctive look, but they're not paupers. Did you not hear the part where I said he attacked me? Minky also had some good things to say about group and how it's helped Davor. I'm not going. I'd like you to try it just once. The people are all really nice. If the people were anything like Davor and Minky, I could think of better words than nice to describe them. You promised you would never make me go. He was silent for a while. Yeah, I, I did. So I'm not going. Or are we going to start breaking promises now? On Wednesday morning, Dad, nice guy that he is, had woken me up before he left to wish me luck in the tryout. I'd yawned and said thanks and tried to go back to sleep. But then I started thinking about the tryout and I couldn't just lay there. I was too excited. I had spent some of my precious points on private sim time on Tuesday night. I was going to make those points back on the first day of the Megastar League series during the break. So it wasn't a big deal. The important thing was that I outplayed those Mecross heads. I was going to get a ball to the back of that net and kick one of those Toxics off the team. Risto, Burko, Tien, I didn't care who it was. In the sim, I also swapped points for virtual opponents. That's where most of the points went. They weren't very smart, so I set them to be very fast and very aggressive. Just like real Mechross players. Then I tweaked the parameters on a sturdy mech. I couldn't change its size, but I think I got the responsiveness pretty close. Glurk has a thing against so-called smart machines. You're never going to see a mecha walking around without a pilot. You're definitely never going to see a mecha building anything without a pilot. It's supposed to have something to do with jobs and economics. Which doesn't make sense, because with basic income, no one even has to work if they don't want to. Even in the virtual world of The Sims, they don't let programmers develop virtual mechas that are too smart. You can build virtual opponents and teammates, but you can only use the control libraries supplied by Glurk. So they're all kind of the same. That's why player versus player matches are so popular. Virtual opponents are lame and easy to beat, unless there's thousands of them, like in Mecha Swarm. In my private sim, the opposing mechas couldn't stop me from scoring point after point. They're more like moving obstacles than an opposing team. And none of them tried to skydrop on me. It was still good practice, once I stopped whispering commands no voice interface was listening to. It left me feeling pretty sure I was going to dominate in the tryout. I arrived at the learning place early out of impatience. From the main steps, I saw Azalea's mecha drop onto the transit pad. I walked over the stand to meet her. Kodo arrived as I crossed the stand. He mech-pieced me as he stomped into a spot. Are you super ready? said Azalea. She had skipped the last eight or ten handholds and simply jumped to the ground. Then she had punched me to say hello. So ready, I said. 
I told her about the private simming I did. Good work, she said and punched me again just as Coda joined us. He punched me too, but it didn't hurt much. Why are we punching Praxit? he said. Because we are so, said Azalea, bringing up a fist. I crossed my arms, protecting my sore shoulders with my hands. Proud of him, she said, and reached out, grabbed some hair just above my left ear and tugged it like she was making sure it was on tight. On really tight. Yeah, I said, my eyes watering. Coda thought that was hilarious. You haven't said hello to Coda, I said, hoping that would distract her while she heard him. Morning, Coda, she said and pulled on my hair again before letting go. Good morning, Azalea. You need to fix your hair, Prax. You seem to have a bit sticking out just there, above your ear. All the advanced tables in MediaStream had a field trip today. They're going to watch actual movies on physical film at a museum in the city. One was going to be about a deer. All of it was hand-drawn. That sounded boring. And I'm not into ancient media, but I was still jealous. I'd be sitting at a table all morning with my veer set on. Azalea was on an advanced table, so I had to go to media stream by myself. I was halfway up the stairs to the top floor, following the back of the kid in front of me. He stepped to the side to go around someone, and I looked up. It was Risto. And Tien was behind him. I stopped. Kids were flowing all around us. You trying out again? said Risto. He said like he was angry, but he was smirking. Stop pushing me, Tien, he said over his shoulder. Tien grinned and shoved him in the back again. Well? Yeah, I am, I said. Stop blocking the stairs, a kid said as they went by. Good luck, said Risto. He brought up his hands like he was going to shrug. I started to say thanks, because that's what you have to say. And then he was probably going to say, you're going to need it, because he's basic and toxic. But instead, he yelled, stop, and fell towards me. He pushed me, saving himself from the fall. Something was behind me, and as I twisted, there was a red and white shape squatting on the step below. I went flying down the stairs, kids ducking out of the way. When I hit the steps, I had my hands out in front of me, and I managed to not bang my face into the concrete stairs, but a jolt of pain shot through my right wrist. A collective groan and some yelps of sympathetic pain went up from everyone on the stairs. I was helped up by, wait for it, Risto and Burko. Sorry, Neef, I got pushed, said Risto. I should have stopped to fix my shoes, said Burko, grinning. He was the shape on the stairs I flew over. I tried to shake myself free from the grip on my arms, but it made me yell with pain. Ah! My wrist! Let go, I said. You better get medical to check it, said Risto. The spectacle of my fall was over. Everyone had kept moving to stream, and the stairs and the landing emptied except for me and the Mecross players. Their fake helpfulness evaporated. Tien stepped in. Did the widow Simward fall down? She said, blinking and grinning like she was a cute little animal instead of a toxic beast enjoying my suffering. Mecross, you know, it's all on the wrists, said Burko, shaking my right arm, jarring my wrist and making me wince and squeak in pain. I don't know what would have happened next, but the hall drones arrived. Burko and Risto let go of me as soon as they heard their whining rotors heading towards us. See you at tryout. Not, said Tien, and the three of them walked up the stairs, escorted by drones. 
I had my own drones to whine and beep at me as I cradled my right wrist and walked down the stairs. I had my mini-tab on me, so they knew who I was and where I should be going, and they didn't like that I was going in the opposite direction. Medical, I said to them. The beeping stopped and they dropped in formation around me. If I really was going to medical, and wasn't just a learner trying to avoid stream, they would make sure I got there. Medical was on the ground floor near the guide's lounge. The drone stayed with me until I walked through the white door. The guy inside, his name badge said Raptor, helped me up into a high soft bench and examined my wrist. My groans of pain didn't seem to bother him. Was he a monster? He stepped back and looked at me, stroking his red beard. I don't think it's broken. It's probably just a sprain, he said. The benefits of young bones. Let's wrap it up. He rustled through a white cupboard and brought over a blue plastic tray with scissors and bandages. This will support it, so it won't hurt so much when you move, but you're not going to be mecking home today. I didn't say anything. I couldn't. The anger that was building up was making it hard to talk. He wrapped the bandage deftly around my wrist, between my thumb and fingers, and around my hand. You don't want to stay off any profs. Mecha or Simrig, for a while. He used a small tooth piece of metal to pin the end of the bandage to itself. How long exactly, I said. If those toxics have wrecked my ability to sim in Megastar's series, there would be trouble they could not even imagine. Well, Raptor said, tapping on his screen, it depends. If you don't hurt it and stay away from mecking and simming, it might be good by Sunday or so. Middle of next week at the latest. If it's still sore after that, go to a medical center. I've got a sim series next week. You're a simmer? He glanced back at his screen. Praxit. 2230? Yeah. The crane guy. Stay off that old revision 15 for sure. I really hope it comes good. You're too young for boosters. All you can do is keep it warm and don't move it. Wrap it up good before you go to sleep. Want a pass to skip stream? Or an exit pass? He found me a sling to minimize how much I moved the arm. He said it wasn't necessary, but it might make all the difference. I walked out of there fuming. Middle of next week? Those basic zoners, those toxic beasts, they were going to get it. Instead of the exit pass, I took the stream pass. I wanted to see my friends before I went home. I walked all the way back to the eating place, through there to outside one. I sat at a table where I could see the playing field. So much for trying out. My visions of skating circles around them, gliding between them like they were standing still and hurling the ball into the back of the net, gone, up in black smoke. The points I was going to earn over the break, they were going up in smoke too. I couldn't sit there. I got up and walked towards the field, but changed my mind and went to the mecha stand. No one was mecking in there, so I left the path and weaved through the fat legs of sturdy mechs, the long, skinny legs of perky jets, and stopped to kick every red and white hardback ranger I passed. Knocking on the baby with my left hand worked as well as my right. You don't notice how useful an arm is until you can't use it. Going up on the baby's hand felt, for the first time, like it might be a bit risky. I had to throw my bag into the cockpit first to make sure I had full use of my left arm for balance. I wasn't even supposed to be in my mecha. Imagine how funny Risto and the rest would find it if I fell out of the thing. But I made it into the seat. And as soon as I grabbed the left-hand prosthetic, I just wanted to kick something. It was like I had really lost an arm. An arm I needed to hold a Mekros stick. 
an arm I needed in Tower Battle and in Rock Dog. Those basic zonos are going to be laughing it up during practice. I should show up anyway, with just one arm. The baby's strong enough to swing a Mekros stick with one arm. It threw a chunk of sink tree across the Taz. It was plenty strong enough. But the running. And the skating. Especially the skating. You need to be moving both arms to counterbalance the legs. They'd just swarm me and sky drop me and it'd be just like the other times. Close canopy, I said. The canopy snapped shut. I was locked into the cockpit and it was a good secure feeling. I stopped gritting my teeth and found I could take a deep breath again. By instinct, I'd set all my still-working limbs into their proths. Like I really thought I might go somewhere. Or try something. Raise the right arm, I said. The baby lifted its arm until it was pointing straight out. A little lower. Lower. Bend the elbow. Bend more. What I had in mind was the arm position for holding a Macross stick. I brought up the left arm into the position it would be in if we were holding a stick. Move the right arm like the left. Track it. Follow it. That's it. Got a little shiver. It was doing it. I raised my left arm. Straightened it. Made a fist. Brought it back. Performed a slow motion punch. The baby's right arm moved exactly in parallel. I punched fast. Waved the arm. Opened and closed the fingers. The baby kept up with zero hesitation. Zero lag and no overshoot. It was like watching a sim effect. Better idea came to me. I could see it, but it was hard to turn into a voice command. Now, whatever I do with the left, do the opposite with the right. I swung the left arm like I would if I was running. Up and down, with the elbow bent and the hand up straight. My fear was the baby would try and bend its elbow backwards and do something weird with the hand. But no, it moved it just like I had pictured just like we were running in place. The baby followed along perfectly when I started swinging the left arm across the body and out to the side, like I would if we were skating. But would it work? And could we run and skate with a Macross stick in our hands? I guess I would find out when I stepped onto the field. I kept practicing until Mechas started hitting the transit pad. It was the learners coming back from their field trip. It was a struggle, but I managed to get my mini-tab out of my right pocket using my left hand. Messaging with one hand wasn't easy either. Guess who has sprained a wrist and guess who did it, I sent to Azalea and Coda. They didn't, replied Azalea. Cretans, replied Coda. Do you need a medical center? No, I'm in the baby, I said. Warming up for the tryout they think I'm going to miss. Azalea was silent. That's because her mecha had just touched down on the transit pad and she was busy making straight towards me. The bell for end of stream sounded. You're really going to try out missing an arm? said Azalea over group comms. Wouldn't you, I said. No! If you get banged around, I'm pretty sure you're going to get banged around. You'll just make it worse. I'll make sure my harness is tight. Super tight! Let's go. I want them to see me waiting for them when they get to the field. Coda caught up with us as we approached the edge of the field. His Novalite loping with such graceful steps it looked like it was moving in slow motion but it covered the ground between us in moments. Praxit, I admire your resolve, but won't further injury leave you out of the series over the break? The medic said it might already be out of the series. I have nothing to lose. But how are you going to operate the profs? Voice interface, like this. I whispered to the baby. We demonstrated our running and skating movements and a Macross stick grip. 
I hope you can talk fast. Here they come, and the coach, said Azalea, and the rest of the entire learning place. The team was silent as they went past. They didn't even look at me. The ground shook as the coach approached. I'm here for tryouts, I know. I heard you sprained your wrist. You can't play injured, that's the rules. What sprain, I said. Does it look like I have a sprain? I whispered to the baby. We waved our arms around in all directions, just like we practiced. Okay, maybe someone hoped you had a sprain. You're moving pretty well over in Freemech yesterday. See if you can put it together with some point scoring. He held out a Mechros stick. I reached out and grabbed it with my left hand. I thought you were right-handed. I'm both. Right, of course you are. Get out there. He gestured at the field where the team was standing in their eight-meter rangers, holding their Mechros sticks, completely stationary and silent. They all reached over their backs, unclipped their cockpit protectors, and fitted them into place. I walked out to them, slipping into my harness. Tighten up, baby. I can't be moving this arm. I can't be moving anything. The straps tightened. The stiff seat softened, and I sank back into it. A dark wedge extended from the right side and folded across my shoulder and arm, molding itself around them and pinning them down so firmly I couldn't budge them. Go Prax! yelled Azalea and Kota over group comms. I raised my stick straight up overhead in a salute. Again, the edge of the playing field was packed with mechas. This time, there was a swarm of camera drones flying around the field. Everyone wanted to catch the best shares. I could imagine the groans when the coach turned on the drone wall and they all flew to the edge of the field like they were being wiped there by a giant hand. The Mechros ball zipped out and hovered in front of the team, waiting for me to approach. I talked the baby into a two-handed grip on the stick. I don't think I need to explain anything this time, said the coach. Wait for the signal. I hope you're ready, baby, I whispered as the ball flew into my net. Calibrating. Don't do this to me now. Hey, James here. I'm the guy writing and reading Futures Mecca for you. I am amazingly lucky to have an audience to listen to this story. And without you, out there, listening to every episode, Praxit's story would never have been told. So, thank you, really. I'd like to ask you for a big favor. It's a simple favor, though. Share Futures Mecca. Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. Tell everyone about it. And if you can, rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen. Or share it on social media. Thank you in advance for sharing it. And thank you again for listening. Later, Neefs.